I've got a question for you. What do Muji, Heli Hansen, Allbirds, and Simba all have in common? They all use Yachtpo. Yachtpo is a one-stop shop for nearly everything e-commerce brands need to grow. They started with reviews to help you convert more visitors, but they've also got a referral feature so your customers can introduce their friends to your products. You can run your loyalty scheme through Yachtpo, so when an existing customer does something like shares a product on their socials, you can give them points, which then pulls them back to your site to spend again. Oh, and you can use the SMS feature to make sure your customers actually engage with these tools because, little known fact, SMS performs much better than email in this context. So, if you're in e-commerce and want better customer acquisition and retention, check out yachtpo.com secret. That's yachtpo.com secret. Now, onto the show. Generally, a mantra that I've had my whole career is that if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. So, I think failure isn't, isn't a bad thing. And for one, just as a personality you know, disorder that I have, it doesn't bother me you know, to fail. That's Chris Cabrera, who went from being jobless at Christmas in 2004 to founding a business that was acquired for over half a billion dollars in 2017. But it's what happened leading up to that fateful Christmas that we're finding out about today. From Secret Leaders, I'm Dan Murray-Serta, and this is our Bite Size series dedicated to failure. We're doing this because we hear about success all the time, but not its far more common cousin, failure. Chris today is the CEO of Xactly, which he founded back in 2005. They're a SaaS, that's software as a service, business, which helps other businesses make more revenue, mainly through sales tech. We know Chris's story has a happy ending, but before the rise, there was a fall. I had gone to undergrad at USC. I had gone and gotten my MBA from Santa Clara. So, you know, I'd kind of been really managing my career pretty well. And I joined this company called Calidus Software. And I was basically hired in as the first person in the sales organization to sort of start selling the product and close the, the first initial deals. And then, and then ultimately, you know, became the uh, head of sales and, and marketing and business development. So, and we took the company public. And so it was like, it was a pretty big achievement. I felt like we were kind of on top of the world. And uh, this was all happening in like the 2004 timeframe. We, we sold a certain piece of software that helped companies you know, automate their commissions. And I was trying to get Salesforce to become a customer. Anyway, long story short, I went up to Salesforce and they said, you know, after a long sales cycle, we're not going to ever buy this from you uh, because, you know, you're on-premise software and we're in the cloud and you know, why don't you go start a company, Chris, and I'll become your first customer. And even though I'd gone through the entrepreneur program, I had these, you know, the right pedigree, I, I really didn't want to do that. And I certainly wasn't disloyal. So I, I instead drove back from San Francisco that, that hour drive and um, basically presented to the, to the senior leadership team and then ultimately the board what this conversation had had, that had happened. And I sort of said, hey, we, we got to go start this other, other department or another version of the product that's in the cloud and, and I'm happy to run it. Again, I'm, I'm passing through a lot of uh, you know, time here. So a couple weeks more go by, a lot of conversations. I'm 37 years old, so I'm, I'm, I'm much more brash at the time. And they just weren't getting it. And they, don't, they didn't believe in the cloud. The, you know, the CTO said that he thought it was a fad. It culminated in me you know, sort of telling them they were effing stupid. And um, I got fired. <laughs> I got fired uh, two days before Christmas in 2004. You know, it's one of those things when you, you know, you're always kind of looking back saying, you know, what could I learn or what, did I, what could I have done differently? And, and I could have done so many things differently, right? I mean, I was just stupid. 
I didn't view the bigger picture. I didn't view how this would appear through the lens of, of this other group of people. And to me, it was like instantaneous. I had talked to this you know, guy. Salesforce was, you know, in my mind, you know, the up-and-coming company. Again, remember, this is 04, so there weren't very many SaaS companies. In fact, <laughs> there were like none. And the, and the CTO's sort of basic premise was, there's only one company doing that. And so that's why I think it's a fad. And we don't want to be like, you know, it didn't ever occur to me that they would take it as you're calling our baby ugly. You're basically saying that all the work we've done for almost eight years, we should just scrap and adopt this new technology that only one other company is doing successfully. And so anyway, you know, you always look back and think differently. Now, of course, it ended up being the best thing that ever happened in my in my life, you know, but at the time it was I don't want to say devastating, but I mean, I was pretty upset after getting fired. I had met with the, the board member, you know, he fired me. And at that time you asked if it was a surprise. I mean, it was such a surprise. I was probably more inclined to think that they would promote me to become the CEO. <laughs> That's how far off I was when they, he said, you know, you're basically fired. I was so, because uh, I had, you know, largely been responsible for building the company in my, in my mind, you know, me and my teams had really, you know, been the ones that closed the deals and, uh, the CEO that had kind of brought us all up and he had left, um, you know, a couple of quarters earlier. So there was like, there was like a dearth of leadership. And I was so astounded. This guy, you know, I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. I'm, you know, I don't think this is going to be a good thing for, for Calidus. And, and he gave me this stupid story. He was an old IBMer and he said, you know, it's, it's kind of like if you put your feet in a bucket of water, you know, if you pull your feet out, what, what happens? So the water just fills in. And I remember sitting there going, what the hell is he talking about? You know, and his point was, you're going to be replaced. The water's going to refill and, you know, it'll be like, you know, we're never here, which kind of, you know, more upset me and more pissed me off. And then, anyway, the part of the story I was going to say, so I was driving home. I had this, you know, new fancy Porsche. I apparently wasn't paying attention to the speed limit and got pulled over and, I have never, ever been able to talk myself out of a ticket in my entire life. You know, my daughter's talked herself out of, you know, 15 tickets. You know, she just bats her eyes and whatever. And they, oh, oh there you go. With me, they take one look and they want to give me two tickets. You know, it's like, you know, oh, your, your license plate also is, is expired or some other stuff. And I was so kind of upset when he pulled me over, not about the, that, it's just about what was going on, that, that the cop was like, hey, what's going on with you? And I was like, so I kind of told him, hey, I just got fired from this job. I was a public... 16B officer, right? So this wasn't like some little fly-by-night, you know, deal. And he was so cool. And it was two days before Christmas. So he was really cool and basically said, hey, you know, I'm going to give you a Christmas gift, you know, just drive slower. <laughs> and uh, only ticket I've ever been able to talk myself out of, which was kind of cool. Chris was pissed off and jobless. He had to figure out what to do. I had this thing, you know, in, that, in my head, which was the hottest company on the planet at that time, <laughs> The CFO was telling me, you know, if you go build this, I'll become your first customer. And I knew that as a 16B officer of a public company that, you know, I was going to get paid out a bunch of money to kind of go away. So interestingly, I spent the whole time really strategizing on, you know, whether I should start a company and talking to people because I felt like. I actually don't need money for the you know foreseeable future because they're going to pay me out a year's comp at least. I've got you know this the CFO saying if you build it you, you know we will come. So for me it was more about geez how do I you know use everything I've learned and, and go start a company and uh, 
that's what happened. And so it, it actually wasn't like a, you know, totally depressing time. It was for me, I just quickly turned it into, you know, Hey, you've got Delta Delta hand. Now we got to, you got to, you know, got to figure out how we win on this hand. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the way it turned out, they, um, they forced me to stay on the books until the end of February, last day of February is my last day. And I incorporated exactly on March 1st, 2005, the next day, kind of as a little bit of an F you, you know, I mean, it's certainly, there's nothing like that, that motivates you more than just being pissed off, you know, and that certainly was my case for the first, you know, I'd say a couple of years that ends up, that ends up wearing off, but, um, but that's a good motivation. And, you know, uh, I don't, I don't regret that. I immediately went out and raised uh, $800,000 of angel money. This was basically friends and family kind of money that were, you know, people who knew me and had worked with me and were excited about what I was talking about. And uh, I actually was amazed how fast I was able to raise that 800,000. With that, I was able to go hire, you know, I think it was about eight engineers. You know, we got a little office and it was kind of, kind of a funny story. We, you know, I was touring the office facility with the landlord. It was like 8,000 square feet and I needed about a thousand square feet. And so, you know, he got kind of excited, you know, talking to me. I was, he asked me about the business. And so I pulled out my laptop. I kind of gave him the pitch and he goes, well, I want to invest. How much, how much more? I said, I'm trying to raise 800,000. And at the time I had raised 650. He goes, well, how much more do you need to get to your goal? And I said, I need 150. He wrote me a check right there on the spot for 150 grand. So, I mean, it was kind of crazy. And then he sort of said, Hey, you can just rent whatever you need. If you're using a thousand square feet, then you pay me for a thousand. As soon as you're using 2000, you pay me for 2000. So it was just kind of like that kind of, that kind of, uh, stuff that just sort of magically happened. And I always felt like it was serendipity and, you know, it proved that I was on the right path. If he hadn't been fired, Chris wouldn't have built a half billion dollar company. So he obviously looks back on that moment with fondness. But what advice does he have for people dealing with failure right now? If you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. People that don't fail are being too cautious. They don't take risks. They don't, you know, they don't put themselves out there because they're scared of failure. Those kind of people, I don't think, you know, will ultimately be the most successful. The people who fail and have, you know, setbacks, if they learn from them, there's a lot of people out there that have gone through the same thing. And a lot of them are, you know, have a special place in their heart to help people that have failed. One of the, one of the questions I ask every person I interview is tell me what, when you failed. And when they can't come up with an example, uh, I get nervous. And then I even tell them, you know, geez, if you don't have a failure, maybe you aren't trying that hard. Maybe you aren't putting yourself out that hard. And they get a little uncomfortable. And because I just think it's a part of life and, you know, it's not a bad thing. And so I think if you have that right attitude about it, then you're really, you know, nothing's going to, you know, shake you and you just kind of move on and figure out. I mean, I'm a person that's obviously a glass half full person. And so I'm just going to always look at, okay, so this is bad and this is bad and this is bad, but what's good? You know, I, I got some good things going on. Let's focus on, on those good things and not on the negative things. People who wallow in the, you know, oh, geez, I'm a loser. I failed. Oh God, you know, my life's over. That just is a spiraling, you know, down and that's just not going to help you or anybody around you. So and, you know, people say it's a little bit of a platitude, but, you know, pick yourself up and shake it off and, and move on. But it's true. you got to do that. There's no other path. What else are you going to do? Failure is a crucial part of an entrepreneur's journey. If you can indeed dust yourself off and learn from it, then your ability to fail can become a superpower. You've been listening to our Bite Size series on failure, and I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. 
We'll be back next week with another deep dive on someone's worst career moment. So if you enjoyed this, please follow us in your podcast app and share the episode with someone who needs to hear it. See you next time. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. 